Good morning. Whoa, <laughs> scared myself. Uh, my name is Nate Arnold, and uh, I'm glad to be preaching God's Word for us this morning. I'm one of the elders over at Metro North Church, which is in Goose Creek, affectionately known as Duck's Ditch. For those of you that are visiting, it's on the other side of, of town over there. But our uh, message today will come from Psalm 111, and verses 1 through 10. We'll be reading that in a moment. So if you want to go ahead and be turning, or Psalm 111, verses 1 through 10, go ahead and turn there. Many are discouraged and upset today. As you look around you and as you talk to various people, and perhaps you yourself, as you look around, get discouraged and get a little beat down. We get discouraged about relationships. We get discouraged about the political situation that is going on around us where some of us are mad at the Dems, some of us are mad at the Republicans, some of us are mad at the liberals, some of us are mad at the conservatives. But we get discouraged with all this infighting and everything we see going on. Some of us are discouraged about the stock market. Some of us past month or so have lost a lot of retirement money in the, in the stock market and we hope it comes back. But it's very discouraging to us. Some of us are discouraged about the evil that we see around us all throughout the world, the Ukraine, places in Africa, all over the world where we see just evil going on, and it greatly discourages us. Some of us are discouraged about our financial situation or our job. We're, we get very discouraged. We're either underemployed or we're non-employed, and that discourages us. Some of us are discouraged because of our family situations. We have people who are lost. We have families that are torn apart. We have, you're sitting in church this morning and you can think of other people in your family that are perhaps sitting somewhere else and it discourages you. I'm really shocked lately at the things I see on the internet about kids, young people, even college-age students with the amount of anxiety that they have in school. They're discouraged about school. I like school. It was fun to skip. But, yeah, I could go do what I wanted for the rest of the day. No offense to our school teachers. And, and, and then some of us really get discouraged about our personal struggles, all the things we're going to, whether they're physical, whether they're mental. We get very discouraged. But the title of our sermon this morning is God is Great. God is Great. And God calls us away from those things that discourage us and commands us to think on His greatness. His greatness. And this is not denial where we say those things don't exist because they do. But God calls us away from looking at those things because God is greater than all of our problems. It's this way for yes. God is greater than all of our problems. Instead of being discouraged and disgusted by what we see, God calls us to look with eyes of faith, with rejoicing and praise upon Him and upon what He's doing. So let me ask you, before we start here, where are you looking? Where have you fixed your gaze? Where do your thoughts lie? What should you be looking at? You already know the answer. Well, why should you turn away from your discouragement and begin to praise the Lord, which is what we're getting called to in this psalm? 
The psalmist gives us four reasons this morning, and I think they're on page eight of your bulletin, seven or eight. Someone correct me there. But you'll find them there. The psalmist gives four reasons. First, he says, great are the works of the Lord. Great is the provision of the Lord. Great are the words of the Lord. And great is the redemption of the Lord. And these four points should cause both thanksgiving and reverential fear or what I like to call gratitude with awe. That's what it should cause in us. And our psalmist, I want you to note, we're going to read it in here in a minute, in, in just a moment, but please note that he begins and he ends with praise in Psalm 111. And he says at the end, because he, God, endures, his praise endures forever. So I'm going to ask you if you're able this morning to stand for the reading of God's Word. And this is the Word of the everlasting God, not Nate Arnold. Because what God says counts forever. What I said, pretty useless a lot of times. Psalm 111, verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work. And His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and precious word. Let's pray. Father, your word stands forever. Lord, we pray that you would take your word this morning and apply it to our lives. Make it rich to your people. Encourage your people through your word that we may fasten our eyes upon you and upon your son Jesus Christ and be encouraged and not discouraged by the things we see around us. To know that there is a God in heaven, and He is in control of everything, and to praise Him with our lips in all instances. Father, we thank You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now please note, I want to draw your attention to verse 1 there very quickly. But it says, Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright in the congregation. The context of this psalm is church. The context of this psalm is church. It's the gathering, the congregation of people. And church is the place where we're supposed to exhort one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and encourage one another. 
That's what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 tells us. And this brings us to our very first point. Great, great are the works of the Lord. And we see that in verses 2 through 4. And I want to reread that so as I go through each one of these points, it fixes that Scripture in your mind and that you can recall it as we're going through the points. Verses 2 through 4. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious. And merciful. This verse tells us that God's works are to be studied by all who delight in them. In other words, if you delight in it, you should study it. I remember, uh, most of you know by now that I was a sailor and I got to travel all over the world. And one of the places I got to go, I think, I think it was the original Legoland in Sweden. Now, if you've never been to a Legoland, you're missing out. It's cool. It's just really cool. But when you go there, they have like whole rivers and villages and lakes and boats and, and houses, and they're all made up of Legos. And it's just, it's just the coolest thing you've ever seen. And when, when I got to the back of the display, they had Mount Rushmore made out of Legos. And they told how many million Legos went into that. And then they had, I, I think it's called the end of the line or something, the one where the Indian is on the horse, uh, de- you know, defeated and dejected with his spear. They had that in like full life size. It was just an amazing thing to see. And because I delighted in it, I studied it. I mean, I just stood there in awe for a long time. And I, you know, I, I messed around with like, okay, how many Legos are in that guy's nose? You know, how many is in the tip of that spear? It was just, I delighted in it. And I studied it. And that's what God calls us to do with His Word. To delight in it and to study it. It's full of splendor and majesty. God's works, they're just full of splendor and majesty. It's like a grand finale at a fireworks display. How many of you have been to fireworks display? And the very end is the coolest part in it. Just blows up all over. It's just fabulous to look at. That's how God's works are. That's what the Bible teaches us and shows us time after time again in, the, in God's Word. They exhibit His enduring righteousness. They're on display everywhere you go. It's like going to a theme park and getting your 3D goggles. There's nowhere that you can look on the Shrek ride that you don't see Shrek. Okay? And there's nowhere that you can look among God's works that you don't see God everywhere. All around you is the testimony of God. Everywhere you look. Psalm 19 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, night unto night reveal knowledge. There is no voice, but their line goes out through all the world. You see them every day. It's the glory of God. How many times do we take for granted the rising of the sun? That's the work of God. We love to look at the setting of the sun. It's beautiful. That's the work of God. I had a friend of mine's granddaughter was telling him, matter of fact, he's our pastor, John. His granddaughter, his granddaughter told him, says, Papa says, God sure has a good paintbrush looking at 
the sunset. It's marvelous, God's work. His grace and mercy are on display for all to see. It's the greatest display ever that's ever been known to man. And greater than that is the display of Jesus Christ, whom God puts forth for our sin. The redemption that He's worked in His Son. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who shows us who God really is. Jesus Christ. But often Satan in our own sin, at least mine does, tempt us to take a different view, don't they? We want to swing our eyes somewhere else. And even though we won't say it, we think in our hearts, perhaps God's not in control. Maybe he's really, He really doesn't have this like all the little signs say. God's got this. Maybe He really doesn't have it. Maybe God and His works are not so great at all. And we wind up looking at the wrong side of God's beautiful tapestry. Now, I've already told you I've been blessed to travel a lot, and I've got to go to a lot of castles and a lot of great residences. And in those hang beautiful tapestries. But if you ever walk up to a tapestry and look at the back of it, it is as ugly as homemade soap. I mean, it is ugly. It strings all over the place. It's just junk, knots, everything else. We wind up looking at the wrong side. We need to flip the tapestry over and see the beautiful side of God's work. Same with the Persian rug. For those of you that may have seen Persian rugs, flip it over. It's ugly. Flip up the right side. And it's beautiful. And that's what God is calling us to do, to look at things rightly. And this is clearly taught in the book of Job, isn't it? How many have read the book of Job? Put your hand up. Okay, Good, good. You know the story of Job. Job just goes through a terrible, terrible time. And it's just terrible. There's no other way to put it. And the ugliness and the suffering But the point of the book of Job is that at no time is God not completely in control of the situation. And the amazing thing in all of this is that Job keeps his eyes on God. He looks at the correct side of the rug or the tapestry. That's what God calls us to do. We're supposed to study and marvel at the works of God all around us, to look with eyes of faith, faith in Jesus Christ, at the works that God is doing all around us. Think for a moment. What is the most marvelous thing that you have ever seen in your life? Picture that in your mind. The most marvelous thing. Well, one of the things for me is being a sailor, is being in the middle of the Atlantic on a cold, dark night. The Atlantic Ocean is about 3,000 miles across from the east coast of the U.S. to northern Africa. So about 1,500 miles in, you're over 1,000 miles from nowhere. <laughs> okay, But at night, like that, you can step outside. And on warships, we don't have run with any lights outside except for the mandatory running lights. We don't have white lights outside. So when you step out, it is pitch black. And you can, I've literally done this, wave my hand in front of my face, you can't see it. But when you look up, you know why they call it the Milky Way. Every, there is no light pollution. Every visible star is marvelous. It's the most marvelous thing 
you've ever seen. And it reminds me time after time of the works of God. That God, the triune God, is always at work. He's holding every one of those stars and He's holding my life in His hands. That's an amen moment, folks. <laughs> He's an amen. Okay? Great are the works of the Lord. This brings us to our second point. Great is the provision of the Lord. Again, I want to read the couple of verses so they're fixed in our mind. Verses 5 and 6. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. God provides for us through His promises. And all the promises of God come to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. God provides for us through His promises. And all the promises come to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. You see, in Christ, God provides both physical and spiritual food for us. Physical, like we sang earlier, He provides that food for us. Regarding physical food, Christ says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Matthew 6.26. And regarding spiritual food, which we're going to be take, partaking of here in a little bit, Regarding spiritual food, Christ says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true blood and my, my tr flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. John 6, 54 and 56 through 56. Now he's not talking about cannibalism. He's talking about being joined with Christ and union with Christ. He explains it later again in John 5.14 where he talks about the vine and the branches. We have to be connected. And that's how he provides that spiritual food to us. And this provision and this connection, hear me closely here, is offered freely. Offered freely. Isaiah 55 verses 1-3 through 3 tell us, Come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me, that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. So how can you buy without money? How is this possible? I mean, is there some sort of spiritual credit card? How can you do this? Well, it's because it's already been paid for, isn't it? It's free to you, but it wasn't free to Christ. It's been, it's been provided to you freely by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So in Christ, God provides... In Christ, God remembers. 
He remembers his covenant. And what exactly is that covenant that he's talking about? It's the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace that we find in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, where God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's what he's talking about. The covenant. He remembers that. In Christ, God shows His people the power of His works by giving Christ His inheritance. And through Christ, He gives us that same inheritance. In Psalm 110, just one chapter back, verse 1 said, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. That's a promise from the Father to the Son. Sit right here at my right hand until I subdue all your enemies. They're going to become your footstool. And God shows His power in doing that. Psalm 2.8, God tells Christ, Ask of me and I'll make the nations your, your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So we see this great provision that God is providing. It's providing it to the Son and the Son is providing it to us. And in spite of all the world's opposition around you, God's provision, in, God's provision is happening for you right now. Right now. Right now. And we see that God has supplied and will supply all of our needs in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.19 tells us that. Great is the provision of the Lord. Great are the words of the Lord. This is your third point. And again, I want to read the verses. Fix them in our mind. Verses 7 and 8. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. It's kind of interesting here that the psalmist emphasizes God's works first before he talks about precepts, His Word, isn't it? Why do you think he does that? The things that God does, His works are faithful and just, the psalmist says. Even when we are unfaithful, 2 Timothy tells us, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. He never forgets His Word, and He always keeps it. His works are faithful because there has never been a time that He leaves us or He's not acting in our best interest. Is this encouraging or what? It is, isn't it? He says He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's Hebrews. All things work together for good. That's Romans 8. Most of you know that. His works are not only faithful, but they're just because He accomplishes His work of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. God doesn't forgive willy-nilly. God is not arbitrary. That would not be just, would it? That would not be just. Our sin must be dealt with and is dealt with in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, by His payment. Romans 3.23-26 tells us that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody in this room. Big one right here. All sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a, big word, propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Propitiation means that Christ stood there and took 
the full wrath of God so that God is no longer angry at you or you or you. He's no longer angry. That's been absorbed by Jesus Christ. And that is the works of God. And the reason the psalmist begins with God's work is because God's work back up His Word. He always does what He says. We see that displayed time and time again in the text. And therefore, we can depend on what God says. If He says it, (laughs) it's going to happen. His precepts are trustworthy. A precept is a command. It's a general rule intended to regulate our behavior. You want the technical term? (laughs) Okay, that's, that's what a precept is. God says do this, it regulates our behavior, or should. And to not do that is called sin. Okay. They, His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever. There is never a time that the commands of God are not right and correct. There's never an exception. Because God is perfect and what He says is right and perfect. Because God's words and actions are so dependable, God's words are to be performed faithfully by us and with a right heart. In other words, we have great dependability on Him and can act accordingly. We can walk in His Word in times of trouble and fear. I remember when I was 6th or 7th grade, I think I've said before, I grew up in the Okefenokee Swamp in Georgia, on a farm, which makes me what I like to call a dumb redneck. But we had like a 25-acre pond on the farm. And I wanted to cross a portion, and I was down in the back of a field with my father, with my dad, and uh, I I told him, I said, I I want a way to cross here. He says, go ahead, you'll be fine. You know, the water is black and full of gators (laughs) where I'm from, and I'm like... Well, you know, I'll be fine. He said, you'll be, you'll be fine. And uh, so I, he, I said, well, I don't want to swim across it. I just want to wade across it. And he says, you'll be fine. He said, the water will be about this deep on you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I start wading and the water starts coming up and gets up to here. And I look back. He goes, you'll be fine. Go. He gave me a little commandment. <laughs> so I stepped on out in faith and I went on across and sure enough, that's how deep the water was. And when I got back and I asked that, I go, how did you know that? See, just like God knows things we don't know, my dad knew that there was a certain type of lily pad that only grows in water this deep and that area that I wanted to cross was absolutely full of them. And he said, you'll be just fine. And I was. I followed his commandments. I, I had faith in what he told me. And we can use God's faithfulness in our daily lives the same way because we can take God's word in hand as we go about our daily, our day. And his word becomes the basis of our faith. It becomes the basis of our salvation. We can trust what God says about saving us. And our prayer life, we can go to him and say, God, you said this. And I'm coming to you asking for this. Kids are great at that, aren't they? Dad, you said, you said we would go get ice cream after. Kids are great. Why don't we take God's promises in hand and 
remind him of what he has said and trust him for those things. And we don't put God in a box by doing that, but we certainly can come before him and we can have confidence in his words because great are the words of the Lord that I and you can turn to at any time for comfort. Number four, great is the redemption of the Lord. Verse nine, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. You see, our great sin, our great treason against God requires a great redemption. And redemption, I want you to look in the verse, has been sent. This is a past tense. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. And because God has sent His Son, John, 1 John 4 tells us that multiple places. God sent His Son. God sent His Son. As a matter of fact, it uses that propitiation word again. It says God sent His Son as a propitiation to absorb the wrath of God so that we can receive the redemption that God has given for us. God has commanded in this verse, has commanded His covenant. He's commanded His covenant. He's telling us this is going to happen. You see, not only does He remember His covenant of salvation that we talked about back in point two, He commands what is going to happen next. What's going to come to pass. And this means that He ensures it will come to pass. As a matter of fact, the rest of that verse in Jeremiah 31, 33 says, I will put my law within them. God will put His law within us. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Write this down. Seriously. God micromanages our salvation. God micromanages. We think of micromanagement as a bad thing. Not true with salvation and not true with God. God micromanages our redemption. It's like a company owner being present on a job site. I happen to be a senior guy in a company and my guys freak out when I show up on a job site. What's he doing here? (laughs) Well, I'm there to make sure the job goes a particular way. Like a company owner would show up. It goes the way that it should go, that I want it to go. And that's precisely what God does ensures that salvation is getting done correctly. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah 1.12, God says, I will watch over my word to perform it. I will watch over my word to perform it. And Philippians 1.6 tells us, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The Father has guaranteed it by his word and Christ guarantees it by His blood. And we can trust Christ for our salvation. We can trust Christ for forgiveness when we sin, when we fall. And we can trust Jesus Christ for all other issues in our life. No matter what they are. Sickness, health, anything. All other issues of life. Just like I knew I could trust my dad. One thing about my dad... My dad never told me there was a Santa Claus. 
If I ask my dad a question and I said, I want to know the truth, out with the truth. Anything I ever asked my dad, I had full trust in him because of that. Anything we ever ask of God, he's that, he's, he's far better than my dad. Far better. We can trust everything he says. Finally, the psalmist says in this verse, he says, holy and awesome is his name. Holy means utter perfection. Utter perfection. There is nothing about God that is not absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. And He can handle anything you can throw at Him. He's awesome. The word awesome means extremely impressive. It's awesome. That's how kids say it today. But it also means to inspire great admiration. Yeah, that's the right word. Admiration. To the point of fear and respect. God is that way. And this is our God. This is why we can be encouraged and not discouraged. And great is His redemption in Christ Jesus, His Son. Well, let's summarize quickly. What did we learn? We learned great are the works, great are the works of the Lord. The Father is always in control. There's never a time that He's not in control. Great is the provision of the Lord. He has promised to provide all of our needs in Jesus Christ. Do you get any greater than that? No. Great are the words of the Lord. He does exactly what He says and His works always back up His words. Always. And great is the redemption of the Lord. He has provided a great Redeemer to cover all of our sins. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So this morning, I urge you to take a close look at who, not just what, has been set before you. Jesus Christ, who is the hope of glory. And put this psalm into practice. This is the practical part of the sermon. And when everything seems to be falling apart around you, run to Christ. Run to Christ. Turn to Christ. He's in control. All power has been given to Him. When you need provision for anything, run to Christ. Run to Christ. God has promised to give us all things in Jesus Christ. He'll either give you what you ask for or He'll give you what you need. What you should have asked for, right? When you need good words of encouragement, run to Christ. Christ is the living word of encouragement. He is that. When you need forgiveness and redemption, don't we all? Yes. Run to Christ. He is the only Savior of mankind. He's the only one that can fix it. You can't. Only Jesus Christ can. So in conclusion, I want to read verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it, remember, we're putting this into practice. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Psalm 111 is an awesome and fearful package of God's greatness. Those who practice it have a good understanding. If you put this into action, it means you have a good understanding of how God works, who He is, and what to do in times of trouble. And because He endures forever, His praise endures forever. 
I stole this part from my wife. She, she said, his greatness causes our praise to happen forever and ever. His, his greatness causes us to praise him forever and ever. Great is the Lord. That's where you guys say amen. We'll do it again. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, You are great. You've given us, Lord, Your great works. You've given us Your great provision. You've given us Your great words. And You've given us the greatest thing of all, Your Son. So Lord, we praise You and honor You and thank You for this great great God that we serve, the triune God. And we bless Your name as a congregation, as a people who come together to honor You and to lift You up. We magnify You. Take this psalm, Father, I pray, and apply it to our hearts throughout this week. And every time we're discouraged, every time we see something on TV or radio or someone tells us bad news, let us to turn here and remind ourselves that God is great. When other people come to us that need counseling, Lord, let us to point them to this psalm and show them and tell them how great is God whom we serve. We give you thanks, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.